And many couples, they don't actually tell their friends, their family, um, that they are pregnant until 12 or 13 weeks, all right? Just because the pain of having to suffer the loss and go through that trauma is quite a heartache. So many people, they don't do that. But um, for others, there's such joy in finding out early and being part of the journey and possibly having that risk of what if the baby does abort and I have to go through this pain with other people who knew about it, right? I feel a bit like that this morning because um, we're going to be announcing um, that we're moving to a new venue. <laughs> yeah, very exciting. So um, let's... Uh, it's a bit of a risk because we're not quite there yet. We've, we've signed the lease, we've paid the deposit, um, anticipated moving date is November, and, uh, but we're waiting for the rezoning to go through, which we understand is, takes a little bit of time, but it's kind of a formality when it comes to these things. So, got a few slides to keep you on the journey. We're not at 12 weeks yet, okay? But we would love all of us to be on the same page, excited, praying for this next step of the journey that God has us on. So we are here, Hope City Church, this is where you're sitting this morning, and it's literally less than a kilometer, 47 Harris Avenue. You can go to the next slide. That's uh, slightly, you know, you know exactly where that is, hey, by that picture. It's like as clear as mud, hey. You know, you've been there. Next, next picture. Um, this is where we're going to enter down here. There's parking at the bottom. There's parking on the, the road front. And within this section over here, the church will be. Next picture. Hopefully they get clearer and clearer. You know where Hyper Paint is? It's right behind in the same warehouse as Hyper Paint. These uh, orange gates here, this is where we're going to drive in. Next picture. And we're going to drive in down here. There's parking down the side and underneath. We're going to either park on the road frontier, walk in, and these obviously, this is Photoshop at the moment. Um, go, back, go back to that slide, sorry. And inside here, Hyper Paint is right in the front section, but the same warehouse, this is all storage genie. Okay, next slide. And uh, this is what the layout's going to be. We won't have to go past a liquor store to sign our kids into church anymore. <laughs> it's been an interesting uh, four years we've been here, right? Uh, but this is kind of the layout. Um, and just to give you an idea, the room that you're sitting in now is 150 square meters, all right? Where we're going to be is 260, so we're almost doubling. It's amazing. It's amazing. Our kids at the moment have about 50 square meters. There's two areas. This is 130, nearly triple the size. Um, we're going to have a kind of a kitchen area here. There's a common area. We'll have tea and coffee that's the sanitized version. Let me show you the actual version. Next slide. This is all storage genie storage units, okay? These are some other tenants here. Hyper Paint is in front. There's like a workshop. They fix cars here. I don't think very well because there's always cars standing out front. Um, but you're going to drive in and come up the ramp and walk into this common area here. You're going to have awesome decor there. We're going to have big double opening doors on the side. You'll walk into the church How's this for favor? Whenever we've looked at venues, and we've looked at about eight or nine in the last 10 months or so, every time we phone an agent, we say, is that space still available? They say, yes, what's it for? No, we're a church. No, no, we're not interested. Time after time, I think some other churches have given churches a bad rap. 
But when these guys heard we were at church, they were initial, initially like skeptical. When we met with the owner, he's like, which blocks do you want? I'm going to break them down for you. So these, all these little squares here are storage units that people are renting. He's busy right now relocating these dozens of people and their spare couches and leftover whatever from their move. Uh, and he's going to build us two churches. We're going to use some of these units for kitchen. We get to use this on a Sunday for free. This entire place is closed on a Sunday. There's going to be no one else in the venue. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. And so we've had such favor from this guy who owns this place. He's going to cover the cost of most of the renovations. It's incredible. Is that the last slide? It is the last slide. Okay, awesome. Just checking. <laughs> so we're on a bit of a journey. You can leave that one up, maybe. I'm just uh, going to say one or two more things. Um, Twelve months ago, Mark Wimble came up from Durban and ordained elders here. A young guy came with him, part of his leadership team, a guy called Steve Hunkin. And while we were having a leaders meeting, he was praying, and he saw a prophetic picture, and he said, I know you guys are looking for a new venue. This is a year ago. And he says, I see a picture which I think might be your new venue. Okay, you know what he saw? picture of a roller door and a painted and a paint roller. And we are right behind Harper Paint. Like God knew 12 months ago what is going to happen. And since we heard that prophetic word, we've looked at Harper Paint, but it's not for rent. And so we've, we looked at all kinds of other venues and prophetic word confirming what God is doing. That's what prophecy does. It confirms what God's already doing. And so we are not yet at 12 weeks, but we're really excited because God's been speaking about this for more than a year. And so we still have to design this space, where we're going to put the stage, where we're going to put the kids' classrooms. There's a lot of work to do in terms of the design side, in terms of the renovations. And we need everyone's help for a whole bunch of different reasons, right? You might have DIY skills. By the way, I've got zero. can change a light bulb. I can plug a toaster in. Like, I've got other skills, not, not DIY. You, we might have a day where we say, hey guys, we're going to paint the inside. We're going to need to get together and have a work party. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. You might be good at electrical stuff. Again, I am not good at that. You might be good at sourcing things. You might have free time to come and paint or to come and wire up plugs or whatever. You might have the gift of God financing you amazingly. You're able to finance this move. Um, so I'm inviting us all to be part of this journey of giving, of sowing our time, our talents, our skills, our abilities, our treasures into this next season. Remember how we preached about a month and a half ago through Nehemiah? Every person in the city of Jerusalem, they built a part of the wall in front of their home. Even the perfume makers, their delicate hands, they built part of the wall. And so actually God's call is for all of us to be involved in some way for building this wall, for being part of this thing. You might have a connection for cheap paint. You might have the time to do the painting, etc. cetera. Um, but, but we all have a part to play. When we moved to this venue four years ago in August, there were hundreds of hours of people in this church. We would arrive here after work and then build the stage or build the toilets, and we'd be at 11, 12 at night. Such amazing camaraderie on the journey, people giving of themselves. We, we took up an offering to decor this place. Over 120 grand came in to do the decor here. 
we've got a bigger venue we're going to. We're going to need more generous people, not just with our time, but with our finances. And so we will be taking up an offering as we get a bit closer. Um, but, but can we pray for this next season? For me, being part of this church for six and a half years, this, this will be the third venue we're going into. God has done such watershed things every time we've had these turning point moments. And so, Father, this morning we, we stand humbled at your goodness, at your favor with, with um, this man who owns this company. Father, more than doubling our space at such a reasonable rental, Father, we're so grateful for your favor and for your blessing. But I pray for every one of us, Lord, that we would have an understanding. It's not about the building. It's about your church, the people. The building is a tool. It's a way to love people, disciple people, see the gospel preached, and people come to faith in you. Father, I pray that all of us would be on this journey. The next few months, kind of getting ready for the baby to be born and all the preparation that needs to be happening. Father, I pray for your continued favor and blessing. But Father, would there be a fire and an excitement in each one of us? And would you show us, Lord, each of our part to play in this next step, this next chapter of the adventure of Hope City Church? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we know more, we'll communicate more, but six or seven weeks' time, you might not be sitting here. How exciting. I don't know about you, but I am absolutely thrilled about what God is doing. It's now hard to talk about purpose. <laughs> um, so we're on week five of purpose. If you're taking notes in your purpose workbook, it's on page 13. Does anyone not have a workbook? We have a few at the back. We're happy to get you one quickly. Um, everyone got. Awesome. Cool. So go to page 13 to take notes for this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in week five. And what we've learned so far, our purposes, the, the big purposes that God has for every one of his people. Number one, our purpose is Christ. We are to have a relationship with Jesus to know our creator and be intimate with Him. Number two, our purpose is Christ-like. We are to become like Jesus. Paul says to the church in, in the, the Galatian church, he says, I'm seeing you formed into the image of Christ. we meant to become like Him. we meant to change and be transformed. Thirdly, our purpose is community. We are to love each other, the body of Christ, the temple, the bride, as Christ loves us. We are the special people of God. We have a special connection because we're in community, we're meant to share our lives and live out our faith together in God's body. And then what we're talking about this morning, our purpose is the common good. Our purpose is the common good. So what does it mean, the common good? Here's a simple definition. It's each of us together and collectively and individually finding ways to live out the gospel for the benefit of other people, for the good of others who are outside the church. Uh, when we talk about community, it's inside the church, God's special people, His body. When we talk about the common good, we're saying, actually, God's called us to more than just loving each other, but to love those who are not yet part of His kingdom. And I think a really important truth that we have to really understand before we jump in this morning is the truth about God's divine love how much God loves us. 
You see, God loves us so much that he wasn't willing just to leave us as we are. He loves us so much, he doesn't want us to end up following our own sinful desires and end up on the broad road that leads to destruction. He intervenes. His love we see through the cross, one man, Jesus Christ, dying to save us, to rescue us, to forgive us from our sins, from the destruction that we were headed towards, from the the inescapable downward spiral of our rebellion. God came to set us free from that. Most of us didn't even realize the path that we were on, but God in His kindness sends workers into the harvest field. The reason you and I are sitting in church today is because someone at some point came to us, shared their faith, shared the gospel, invited us to church, prayed for us possibly without us even knowing about it. God loves us so much, He didn't want to leave us in our sin. He sends others to tell us about Him and His love. And so you might be wondering, what is, what is my purpose? And can I say that when we think about the common good, wherever we find ourselves, God has put us there. Wherever He's sending us, God is sending us. Wherever we go to work tomorrow morning, to the grocery store, whatever, God is sending you there. And He's put us here and He sends us places for a reason to reach other people. No need to wait until you're older, until you've read the whole Bible or gone on some kind of outreach course. The Bible seems to imply wherever God has put you now, He's put you there for a reason. Many of us think about the future or, you know, one day when I finish school, then I can, I can start filling God's plan for my life. Or when I finish my studies or, or when I get a job, when I can pay the rent, then I can start serving God in His call. Or when the kids leave home and I've got more time, dot, dot, dot. We often think, ah, oh, I will serve God when something changes. But actually, wherever we are right now, God has put us because he has a plan to reach out through us. So when you think about the common good, we can kind of think about it in two ways. There's a very general way and a specific way. Generally, when you talk about the common good, we think about how can my life benefit humanity? How can my activities benefit society and humankind as a whole? And this primarily has to do with our vocation, our job, what we do day to day, all right? Because Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, God gave humanity a task to rule over planet Earth and not mess it up, but to bring the best out of it, to, to, to nurture it, to steward it, to look after it, to bring fruit from the earth, to bring good out of God's creations, our task. The fall never changed that, it just modified it, it becomes a bit harder. With toil, God says to Adam, you will, with the sweat of your brow, bring forth the fruit. And so our plan is still to bring the best out of planet Earth. And how do we do that in a general sense? All of our day jobs, if you want to put it like that. Some silly little examples perhaps. You might be a plumber, but because you fix leaks properly, and with decent quality fittings, and you do your work to the glory of God because we can do everything to God's glory, people benefit from good plumbing. I praise God for good plumbing and for good plumbers. If you know any, let me know. (laughs) 
because we have a leak at the moment in one of our taps. Uh, but honestly, because plumbing and sanitation is a good thing for society. Amen? <laughs> I won't go any further than that. <laughs> the company that I work for is in the agricultural sector. We produce and we sell vegetable seeds. And because of our company's activities and the people in our company and because of the work that I do, people eat vegetables. Millions of people every year are nourished because of the vegetable seeds that we produce. We feed a big part of the continent. And so I'm so pleased and privileged to play that role, some small role in feeding mankind. It's part of my general um, improvement of society for the common good. Humanity is benefited from what we do, all right? And this is such a fascinating topic. I recently read a book called Garden City by John Mark Comer. It's completely revolutionized my thinking about the topic of work and vocation and how God sees it and how important it is. And so I'm not going to digress there, although I'm really wanting to, uh, but you can read the book if you'd like to do that. So there's a general kind of common good, but then there's specifically, what does it look like? We are to do good and be kind and show love to people individually. In other words, Individual people, specific people, are the recipients of our good deeds, of our kind acts, of our showing love. And we're going to look at an example of this in the Good Samaritan. So turn with me to Luke chapter 10. You know that Jesus never used that phrase, the common good. He didn't. But a lot of his teaching centered around the topic. So we might be calling it something different, but it's very much part of Jesus' teaching. So Luke chapter 10, we're going to read from verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and live. Isn't that a beautiful scripture to interrupt our reading right there? Jesus is saying the most important thing you can do is love God. Purpose number one is Christ, to have a relationship with God himself. And so as we growing in God, this vertical relationship, Jesus says it's worked out by loving your neighbor. It's worked out horizontally to people around you in society. But he wanted to justify himself, this teacher of the law. So he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Trying to trap Jesus, right? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite... When he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. Now that's like the modern day equivalent of pastor. Like imagine Terry and Vasen walking past. This is, you know, you've got to put real people in the story here. The pastor walks past, ignores the guy who's suffering. But a Samaritan, a foreigner, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Doesn't look like he was a doctor, eh? Hey? <laughs> like oil and wine. <laughs> anyway, 
Medical science has come a long way. (laughs) Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. The Samaritans were, if you didn't know, hated by the Jews. This was like the enemy rescuing his enemy. And yet the priest and the Levite didn't even help their own countrymen. Jesus kind of ends the parable. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him, right? Jesus told them, go and do likewise. So I want to take this morning in three points, kind of three questions, try to unpack this a little bit. Firstly, who is my neighbor? Secondly, why should we love our neighbor? Maybe you've got neighbors that you are not interested in loving. The Lord's help you. Uh, and then lastly, we'll get on to how should I love my, lab- uh, my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Why should I love my neighbor and how? So number one, who is my neighbor? Well, if you're like me, when you say the word neighbor, your immediate association is, well, the people who live next door, right? Or in front of me or behind me. And we live at the end of a street, so there's no neighbors in front of us. There's no neighbors on the one side. There's only neighbors behind us and to that one side. So we, we are like, we got the, we scraped the barrel when it came to dishing out neighbors, right? We only have a couple of them. Um, sometimes we might think, well, our neighbor is, it's the colleague in the cubicle next door where I work through. I see them every day. They're next to me geographically in, in the workplace. Many of us might think that our neighbor are other believers, other Christians, other people part of this amazing body and bride of Jesus. But Jesus uses this parable to show us how God thinks and how we should think, right? He's teaching us there's a big difference between our brother in Christ and our neighbor. The priest and the Levite, whose brother was the man who had been beaten up, They did nothing, and yet a foreigner, a stranger, an enemy came and did something. There's a big difference between brothers in Christ and our neighbors. The true neighbor, Jesus is saying, is anybody who's in need. The true neighbor is anyone who's in need. And this is a game changer because normally we think, well, it's not my problem if they don't live next door to me. I'll never see that person or that situation again. Why should I have to do something about it? But it changes everything. We often think our responsibility is to the church, to God's people, because he died for them, you know. And that's true, but Jesus is saying there's a special way in community that we love each other, but the circle's a lot bigger. The fact that Jesus used a Samaritan helping a Jew, he couldn't, picked, couldn't have picked a more forceful way to say that anybody in need is a neighbor. The common good, who is my neighbor, we are to love our neighbor, and that's anyone who's genuinely in need. Number two, why should I love my neighbor? Glendon, you haven't seen my neighbor. You have no idea what you're trying to tell me to do. <laughs> There's two sub points here. Number A, or letter A, we love people because of their God-given worth. We love people because of their God-given worth. People have value and worth Not because of what we say about them, but because God confers value on them. A person's worth is not determined by you or I. 
but is conferred by God. So people have value, right? Intrinsically, inherently, people have value because God says so, God made them and he put value in them. And beyond that, there is kind of gold, if you like, in every single person. We would take the time to get to know them. We would discover the gold that God's put in them. Problem is many of us don't like to dig and try and find that gold. And we should often pray, Lord, give me the right lenses so that I can see people how you see them. We have these filters on. We see, through, we see people through the lenses of culture or of different race or financial status or color or gender or position. They're all faulty filters. They're imperfect. They're wrong. It's not how God sees people. God sees them differently. He sees them as my child, my loved one, the one that he sent Jesus to die for. Interestingly, there was a study done a few years ago where they, they put university students in a room together. And they didn't know each other, but they, they were kind of dressed according to their financial status. And maybe they talked according to the upper class school they went to or didn't, right? And what they found within a few minutes, all the rich kids were talking to themselves and looking down at all the kids who, like me, had a government education who didn't talk very poshly, right? It was a natural thing. People, when we get together, we look down on others. If we think they are lower in the food chain because of our faulty filters, it's not right. But what happens when we look down on people, our empathy, our compassion for them is a lot less. Why? They're not in the same group as me. And so we don't see them maybe as valuable as, as God sees them. And the solution to that is a greater sense of humility and of our own humanity. See, the difference between the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan is that the priest and the Levite saw a man who'd been beaten and robbed and left for dead. The Samaritan saw himself who could have been beaten and robbed and left for dead. He saw his own value in that person who was suffering. And put up, uh, I think, skip forward to the picture of Briella. This is my daughter in the middle. Her name is Briella. She's going to turn eight next month. And yes, that is a jar of mayonnaise that we gave her for Christmas. She's a special girl. She loves things like mayonnaise and olives, and like, just give her a packet of olives, that's her set, right? She is daddy's girl, I love her to bits, I would do anything for her, I, I would probably die for her if it came to that, right? You might see a cute little girl, strange maybe, she's feisty, she's full of life, she's very sensitive and tender, if you raise your voice or you shout at her, very soft heart, um, she loves animals deeply, uh, but you wouldn't die for her, Okay, you might think she's a lovely girl, but you wouldn't die for her. Maybe your own kids, you might sacrifice or die for them, but you wouldn't die for my girl. And the way that God sees us is the way that I see Briella. I would do anything for her. And just as if you're a parent, you know this feeling, you would do anything for your kids. God sees every one of us in that way. Loved, special. He gave his son for us, actually. And so regardless of our, of our station in life, regardless of our bank balance or our skin color or the car that we drive, the neighborhood we live in, etc., God loves us. 
He imparts value to us. He sees us the same incredible compassion that He has on us. So why should we love others or love our neighbor? Because of their God-given worth. And then B, we love others because of Christ's love for us. We must love other people because, because God loves us first. In fact, there's a scripture that says we can only love because He loved us first. The Old Testament, there's a book called Hosea. Have you heard of it? Prophet Hosea, right? He, he's the guy, the hero in the story there. And what happens with prophets in the Old Testament, God would give them a message. And they would go and deliver the message to that person or to the king or to the nation or to a group of people, right? That was their job, to take what God had said and deliver the message to people. Every now and then, very rarely, God would say to the prophet, live out your message, Okay? The message is a lived out kind of parable. And this is what happens to Hosea. God says to him, I want you to marry a lady called Goma. Now, Goma was a prostitute. Hosea was an upright Jewish man, a prophet, respectable. And God says, go and marry a prostitute, the worst, lowest class citizen in the Jewish society, worse than a slave possibly. Go and marry a prostitute. Can you imagine what this guy must have said to God, <laughs> what, what do you say to God if God asked you to do something very bizarre? I don't know. He was a prophet. Maybe he knew what was coming. I don't know. But he obeys, and he goes and marries this prostitute called Goma. I don't know if you can try and picture what it might be like trying to live out marriage to someone who's very different to you, had a very different upbringing, very different morals. Now you're trying to live together. Things seem to go sort of okay for a while, but then one day Goma says, I, I can't do this anymore, and she moves out. She goes back to the sex trade. Hosea wakes up that morning, and he's devastated. His wife is gone. God says to him, I want you to pursue her. I want you to go after her and find her and bring her back. So he, he leaves home, and he starts looking for her, and he, he goes to the marketplace, and he finds his wife for sale. There's other men bidding on her, and he starts to bid as well, and he wins with the highest bids. You know what's crazy? He buys her back, but all the time he was bidding on someone who was already his. So friends, as you and I are here today, we're already God's. He made us, and yet Jesus came and paid a price to buy us back from the sin and the rebellion that was our part. Can you picture Hosea running through the streets, maybe bumping into clients of Gomer? Have you seen her? Oh, I was with her last night. I don't know where she is now. Going into dark alleys of places a prophet should never go. Heartbroken, devastated. And friends, in, in this kind of story, you and I are the Gomer. Jesus Christ is the Hosea coming to earth, looking in dark valleys for his people, a place a king should never be giving his life for us, dying on the cross, buying us back because of God's great love for us. He doesn't just let us do our own thing. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, you and I are not the person trying to help the, the, the person beaten up. We are the ones on the side of the road, beaten up by sin, bruised by our hurts, our insecurities, our pain. Jesus is the good Samaritan. 
And he didn't just risk his life like the good Samaritan did. In fact, he gave his life. He paid with his life for our healing, for our salvation, for our rescue. The good Samaritan is actually just a picture pointing to the great Samaritan, Jesus Christ. And when we realize, friends, that every person is valued by God because he gives us value, and we see visually his love demonstrated through the cross, how can we not love people as Christ loves them? We have to value them as he does. And lastly this morning, number three, how should we love our neighbor? What does it mean to love our neighbor? Maybe you like me, and this is a bit embarrassing having to share this. <laughs> when you see someone in need, you often think, someone else's problem, just keep driving, just keep walking, right? Didn't see that, oh, look over there. Or you, you think, well, well, maybe they deserved it. Maybe they've done something terrible, and that's, they're getting their just reward for whatever they've done, okay? Maybe you think, well, I've seen this guy on the side of the road a few times. Let me phone a friend. Hey, Casey, have you seen this guy? Hey, I've seen him. What about his story? You think it's legit? Ah, dodgy. Eh? Ah, no, no, I know it's dodgy too. And then you're like, <laughs> you kind of look, you doubt, you speculate, but you don't see Jesus doing that in the story of the Good Samaritan. He doesn't seem to put any conditions on helping those in need. Now, we've got to be wise because there are plenty of people scamming, right? Fake problems, trying to live off the goodness or the kind-heartedness of others. I've been scammed a few times. The one guy, I was at university, and uh, he came past the house I was renting with a few other people in the digs in, in KZN, and he said, oh, I need to get to this town because my mother passed away and to a funeral, I need transport money. How much do you need? 300 bucks. And so as a student, 20 years ago, that was a lot of money. So I, sure, got to help people, you know, so I gave him 300 bucks. Three months later, the same guy comes back. His name was Edward. I can still remember. I still see his face. The same story. Oh, my mother died two weeks ago and needs to get back, you know, transport money. So he put Edward, I spoke to you three months ago. And I promised to loan you that money, in fact, because I'm a student. I don't have money. I will give you money if you can pay that back. Hey, never saw the guy again. <laughs> but the point is that we've got to be wise and good stewards of all that God's given us, right? But at the same time, balance that with Jesus doesn't put conditions on those who are genuinely in need. Jesus says, what does it mean to love my neighbor? And he says, like the third guy, the person who had mercy on others, go and do likewise. Jesus says, go and do something. Take action. You know that talk and talking and good ideas don't help people. Actions do. Doing something physical, something concrete, that's what, hap that's what helps people. And so the difference we see between the Levite, the, the priest, the Samaritan, the first two did nothing, but the Samaritan actually did something. I don't know if the guy's wounds got infected from pouring wine on them, I don't know, right? But he did something. <laughs> His heart was there to be kind. I want to end with uh, this scripture, Jeremiah 22 in verse 3. This is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who's been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, 
the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. What does it mean to love our neighbors? It's to do something, not think about it. It's great to have feelings of compassion. They help to move us. But Jesus says, go and do something. Be active with our faith. So friends, I want to end with this thought that where you are right now, God has placed you. Where you go tomorrow, next week, next month, when Mike Hoff goes back to the UK in a few weeks' time, God is sending you there. Well, maybe he sent you here for a bit. <laughs> but God is sending us, friends. We can lose the, the magnitude and the weight of God's call because it looks like everyday life, okay? It looks average. There's no glamour and glitz by getting up early and making the kids lunches. Uh, Candace and I had this discussion many years about making kids lunches. It's the most boring thing because they don't eat them half the time when they're young, right? But I, said, I remember saying to her, babes, it's not the most glamorous thing, but while you're making their lunch, they're still sleeping. They're in dreamland. We can be praying for our kids while we make their lunch. We can have a kingdom impact through lunch making. We've since got wiser and thank you for not, some of you should have told us earlier about this trick. We incentivize lunch making. So if you make your sister's lunch, you get one rand. And uh, in our family, when you get to grade one, you must just make your lunch. This is what Ascoffs do. It was a brand new rule we invented at that point. It wasn't a historical precedent. But like, so our kids from grade one make their own lunch. And if they want to earn some more money, they can make it for their sibling. It's a free parenting advice right there. I don't know where I'm going now. We should probably end quickly. <laughs> where we are, God has put us. Where you go, God is sending you. We have the ability to do something and we're compelled by this love that God's put inside us. We're compelled by the love God has for all people, that he loves them enough that he would die for every single one. And so the common good, friends, is just doing something to our neighbors. Every time we come across people and people in need, we are just to do something. It might be as simple as a smile or a hug or a handshake or a kind word. But actually, doing good is a whole lot easier than we think, maybe. We're going to um, break bread as we end. Kaylees, would you come up and just uh, play on?